Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our Christmas series today called The Word Became Flesh. As we look into the Word of John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, with a message entitled, Come and See. last part of John chapter 1 is all about people finding Jesus and then describing what it is that they found. You know, we might say that this is what the entire New Testament is about from, from the birth of Jesus onward. First, the shepherds were directed to Jesus and found him in a manger. And then when the time came for ritual purification, Mary and Joseph take the baby to Jerusalem and a man named Simeon is directed by the Holy Spirit and he finds Jesus and describes what he found. He says he has found the Lord's salvation. The child is both a revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. And then a woman named Anna finds Jesus, and she's been worshiping in the temple as a widow for most of her life. And she's directed by the providence of God, and she finds Jesus to be the redemption of Jerusalem. Matthew tells us that after some time, a group of magi find Jesus, and and they find him who is worthy of their worship. People found Jesus through a number of different means. Angels brought them. The Holy Spirit directed them. God simply seemed to urge them. The wise men saw a star and remembered a legacy that probably was left them through the prophet Daniel. But somehow they came. You know, when I think about how they came and what they found, I'm reminded of Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And when I think about what they found, I think about verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, these names are the titles which the child holds. And even though it took a great deal of time for the people of God to realize how it is that Jesus embodies all these titles, see, there can be no doubt from the time of his birth, that Jesus already was all of these things. After all, that's how the book of John begins. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so the title Almighty God was always a title that not only rightfully belonged to the Father, but equally, the title also belongs to the Son. Now, from Isaiah, sometimes the title Everlasting Father, well, that's confusing to some of us. After all, only the Father is the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But Isaiah can also be interpreted as saying, Father of eternity. See, in the beginning, says John 1 verse 1, this is the one from whom eternity came. This is the one who is not held by time, but the one who holds time in his hands. His very being breathes out eternity, timelessness. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then as Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Or as John says in John 1 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. The Father of eternity stepped into time and dwelt among us. And the impact of all of this, John says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And that's exactly what Isaiah predicted. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
And so in order to illustrate that, John the Apostle moves us very quickly from the birth of Jesus to those people walking in darkness who saw a very great light. The first step in that process of the shining light was John the Baptist. Later on in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus will say of John the Baptist, he was a burning and shining light, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the light of John the Baptist was not the true light or, or the source of light. John merely directed people to the source of light. And so the book of John tells us how John the Baptist also helped people find Jesus. And just like the account of his birth, John chapter 1 tells us what they found when they found Jesus. And so first, at, at the direction of John the Baptist, Andrew, and John the Apostle, the, the author of the book of John, found Jesus. Andrew then urged his brother Simon, more commonly known as Peter, to find Jesus. In the last part of chapter 1, we have a number of others finding Jesus, but what's especially fascinating is, is what they found. Like the shepherds, and like Zechariah, and Anna, and the wise men, they found in Jesus something that sounds very much like what Isaiah spoke of when he said, the child will be called Almighty God or what John meant when he said, this is the only source of the world's light. I'm picking up my reading now from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, before we go further, can I point out what's actually an ambiguity in the original Greek text, and it's actually not seen when we read our English Bible. Notice in our English Bible that verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. But the Greek text actually reads, the next day he decided to go to Galilee. See, the translators of our Bible have decided that the he that's spoken of here, well, that refers to Jesus. But listen, it doesn't necessarily refer to Jesus. I mean, after all, in the previous paragraph, we've been reading about Andrew's leadership in bringing his brother Simon to meet with Jesus. So it might be, indeed, that's how I read this text, that the next day, after Andrew introduced his brother to Jesus, that next day, Andrew went up from the lower Jordan River where he had met Jesus, and he went up to Galilee. And the reason he went was because Andrew is now on a mission. He went to his hometown and he found his buddy, a man named Philip, and he said to him, follow me. I'm about to show you the hope of our nation and for our world. And Philip, in turn, picked up his buddy, whose name is Nathaniel, and reported to him that, that he also needed to join the two of them. Something significant was going on. So please remember where all of this started. Andrew and John, the disciple, asked Jesus if they could stay with him. And we're not told what happened that night, but whatever it was, those two men were overwhelmed by what they found in Jesus. Like the wise men and the shepherds and, and like Anna in the temple, they had come face to face with the fulfillment of everything that Israel had hoped for. That's why Andrew's on a mission. He's finding his closest friends and he's saying, I just can't keep this matter private. He believed he had found the one whom Moses and the prophets spoke about. And like any good Jewish lad, Andrew had been trained in the scripture. 
He knew from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that, that God had promised that someone would come to crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And in the end, the horror of living in a fallen and a, and a cursed world would end. Andrew knew from Genesis 49 that the ruler's staff or the scepter would not be removed from the one who is to come from the tribe of Judah. Andrew knew from Exodus 12 that, that the Messiah would be the Passover lamb. From 2 Samuel 7, he knew that he would come from David's family line and inherit the throne of David and rule the earth. He knew from Psalm 110 that the Messiah would be infinitely greater than King David. And he knew from Isaiah chapter 9 that he would embody the greatest names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, and that of the increase of his government and of peace there would be no end. Of course, we can't be sure about all of the prophecies that he had in mind. But remember, Andrew was raised on this stuff. He'd been trained from his mother's knee to be hopeful that God would keep his ancient promises. And after one night in the home of Jesus, whatever happened there that night, see, we simply don't know. But in consequence of that, He found his best friends, and they found friends, and they all decided together to go see Jesus. But who are these people? Well, if Andrew found Philip, who's Philip? Well, like Andrew, John the disciple, and Simon, Philip also would eventually become one of the twelve. And there's a little insight into Philip found in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 22. You know, that incident happens in the last week of Jesus' life, right before the crucifixion. And the text says, Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. See, that thing was happening all the time. Now, clearly, Andrew was the leader in the relationship. You know, also, we know that when Jesus was telling the 12 that he had to go away, and he was, of course, referring to his death and his resurrection and then being taken into heaven, it was Philip who said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus had to say to Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long that you still don't recognize me? See, while Philip did believe, he had a hard time putting it all together. Nonetheless, in spite of those things, it was Philip who called Nathanael and said, come with me, we've got to meet Jesus. Hey, this is Isaac here from Indoubt Ministries, the young adult ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. So I almost share a birthday with Jesus. In fact, just 45 minutes away. You know, in our family, I've always been teased as the Grinch who stole Christmas in 1992, since the family had to push the Christmas celebration to Boxing Day. Anyways, whatever your experience has been with Christmas, maybe it's a difficult time each year, or maybe it's your favorite season, we can all come to the place of being overwhelmed by the wonder and awe of the King of the universe, humbling himself by becoming a human on earth, Jesus Christ, all out of love for the sake of our salvation and his glory. So let me say to you, Merry Christmas. And if you'd like to come alongside us and support us in achieving our year-end goal of $400,000 for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, simply call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Nathaniel is more commonly known to Bible readers as Bartholomew. He also becomes one of the Twelve Apostles. 
that's still in the future. What we find in the last part of John chapter 1 is the conversation between these men at the beginning of their adventure, what they found when they invited each other to go and meet with Jesus. In fact, that's what Philip does. He tells Nathaniel that he has found the Messiah, the one written about by Moses and the law. That's the hope of Israel. But Nathaniel's not easily convinced. He, just like the others in this troop, knows his Bible as well. From Micah 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You can almost hear Nathaniel saying, Tell me he's from Bethlehem, then I'm going to believe. But tell me he's from Nazareth? I don't think so. See, interestingly enough, Philip doesn't answer the question. I think that's probably because he doesn't know the truth about Jesus. I mean, that Jesus really was born in Bethlehem and then had gone to live in Nazareth. You know, there's also the fact that Nazareth appears nowhere in the First Testament. It's, it's just of no significance whatsoever. And so I don't see Nathaniel's comment about Nazareth quite as critically as many interpret it. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, it is negative about Nazareth. It's simply also a statement. Listen, the hope of the ages, the true light that's coming into the world, doesn't come from Nazareth. I don't know which town that that you live in, but you probably think of a neighboring town in that fashion. Now then, Philip's response is instructive. He doesn't have all the answers. I say it's instructive because at this point, we need to hear from Philip. When someone asks us a question about Jesus that we can't answer, see, it's very important to learn from Philip. Don't make up an answer or simply change the conversation. See, Philip knows a sincere question. It's because Nathaniel is his friend. They've shared life together. Indeed, this entire account of Andrew finding his brother, then his friend Philip, and and of Philip contacting Nathaniel, well, it's instructive as to how the gospel advances. People talk to their friends. They, They talk to family members. They talk to those whom they interact with on a regular basis. It's natural. It's it's organic. It's not forced. And it's this kind of a dialogue when someone asks a question and nobody knows the answer, but they make it a part of the dialogue. See, for those of us who, who think we need an answer to every question, would you please for a moment consider the evidence to the contrary? See, I'm reminded of a man. His name was Werner von Braun. For years, he was the top U.S. space scientist with NASA. He was deeply influenced for Christ by a woman who had come to clean for him. I doubt she answered all his questions about physics and the nature of creation and the evidence for intelligent design, but Werner von Braun did come to Christ. Great soul winners don't try to answer everything. They simply invite people to come and see. Once in a while, someone might say, well, why don't you just come to church and see? Or, or here's a Bible. Can I invite you to start reading together with me about the life of Jesus? Would you come and see? And so after the invitation to come and see, we, we can imagine the troop, you know, Andrew, John, Simon, Philip, Nathaniel, a group of people all wanting to talk to Jesus. So let's read what happened next. John chapter 1, verses 47 to 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. 
You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, obviously the first thing that catches Nathaniel off guard is that, that Jesus makes a value judgment about him. Now, in case you're still wondering about Nathaniel's description of Nazareth, let me help you out. Jesus is not saying that Nathaniel is free of prejudice or even sin-free. I mean, none of that. Jesus is saying that he knows that Nathaniel is free of duplicitous motives. He's not a two-faced man. You know, all of us know people who know how to get what they want by turning people against people. I mean, sometimes they slander people. Sometimes they praise those same people. It all depends on what advantage they can get at the moment. They know how to use their power to get what they want, and they seem to survive a long time that way. They've destroyed people and reputations, and yet in the right circles, they keep on surviving. But if you really knew who they were, you'd have nothing to do with them at all. I mean, do you know people like that? I know I do. And you should be very careful around them. But, says Jesus, when he sees Nathaniel coming, I can see that this man is not like that. What he appears to be is exactly who he is. What he says to you, he will say when I'm not there. He's not two-faced. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's shocked. I mean, he lives in the real world, and he knows who he is. And he's shocked because Jesus seems to understand his character. How do you know me? And the answer, well, the answer added one shock upon another. He says, I saw you. You were under the fig tree when Philip spoke to you about this meeting now. Nathaniel's answer is immediate. You're the son of God. Now, that answer does seem shocking. I mean, using contemporary and theological language, well, we might ask, where did he suddenly get such high Christology? I mean, it took a great deal of wrestling with a biblical text for the entire church to solve the problem of who Jesus truly is. How does Nathaniel get there so quickly? Well, remember, we started by saying that Christmas is the story of people who found the babe in the manger. And then they came to conclusions about what they had seen. And furthermore, we saw that the conclusions that they came to, well, they matched very well the prophetic pronouncements about the coming of the Messiah. So let's ask, what would Nathaniel have meant when he called Jesus the Son of God? Well, we know that in the Old Testament, the phrase son of is, is used in a number of different ways. In the Psalms and in Proverbs, a wicked man can be called the son of wickedness. And when it comes to the righteous, the phrase son of God is sometimes used of Israel. That is, they are chosen by God. And so in some fashion, you can speak of the son of God simply by meaning that a person is obedient to God or that that person is chosen by God. Now, is that what Nathaniel meant? Well, I can't say with certainty. We do know that earlier in John, in chapter 1, verse 18, John tells us that as son, Jesus is the only son of God who is at the Father's side. And so for Jesus, the title son of God is a Trinitarian title. And, and I'm pretty sure that Nathaniel had no understanding of that, at least at that point in his life. But he did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And listen to Jesus' response. Basically, he says, you believe because I have the ability to watch you wherever you are. You believe me, but you ain't seen nothing yet. I don't know how true those words would be. 
In the future, Nathaniel would see lepers cleansed and demons driven out and, and nature obeying the voice of Jesus. He would see the dead raised and then he would see Jesus himself being raised from the dead with an indestructible body. Clearly, he had no idea about what he was about to see. And then if we can get beyond that, it's the vision of Jesus from Revelation. Nathaniel is yet going to see things that would stagger him when Jesus came. What a precious moment that was when his friend Philip invited him to come and see Jesus. And that's the Christmas story. Whether it's the story of Nathaniel or the story of the shepherds and the wise men or anybody's story who has been invited to see Jesus, once we bow our knee, we have no idea of the adventure that yet lies before us. And so I can think of no better way in the end of this Christmas series from the first chapter of John's gospel than to invite you, my dear listener, if you have not yet come to see Jesus, could I invite you now to surrender your life into the hands of Jesus? Christmas is a great time to become a Christian. Would you simply pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you're everything you say you are. I don't yet know everything that that means, but I would ask you to forgive my sins and enter into my heart. I would ask you to forgive me and make me your own dear child. Lord Jesus, make me yours. Help me to trust in you. I follow you wherever I go. I lay aside my own sin and I turn my life into your hands. Would you pray that prayer with me? And if you did, welcome to the family of God. You have no idea of the wonderful adventure that lies before you. John, this has been a great series. Thanks so much for bringing it to us. One last question. You know, for many of us, I think we're fretful about introducing our friends to Jesus, fearing that we would be perceived as pushy or or risk causing harm to our relationship, but we ought not be. Yeah, I think so. You know, Ben, I think one of the things that we ought to remember, let's remember who we're introducing them to. I mean, I mean, Jesus is frankly the most exciting, exhilarating person in the history of the world. So, I mean, I mean, if we think about it from that perspective, I mean, if you know someone and you think, man, I think they'd really like him, uh, you know, think of it that way with Jesus. So uh, take away the, you know, religiosity from it and just simply say, I'd, I'd love for you, you know, to read something about Jesus. Would you be interested? Amen. And their lives will never be changed more. Thanks for joining us this week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. John the Evangelist stated the Christmas message most succinctly when he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message of Christmas, if we think about it, is utterly astonishing. The second person of the Trinity humbled himself, condescending to become a man. God has visited us and brought us a message of mercy and love. On behalf of all of us at Back to the Bible Canada, I want to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. May the joy of this season and the assurance of the love of God be felt in your home, your family, and among your loved ones. I also want to thank you for your faithful support to this ministry. Be encouraged. Emmanuel, God is with us. Have a Merry Christmas.